0: secrets to real estate investing, episode
1: 86. Welcome to the secrets of real estate investing show, where you'll learn powerful strategies from top experts to take your investments to the next level. Here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. Today we have with us a gentleman who has done a transition from a career in tech coming on over to real estate investing and I'm really excited to introduce you guys today to Mr. DJ Scruggs. Welcome to the show, DJ.
1: Hello everyone. (laughs) Glad to be here.
0: Well, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule, and I'm so excited, especially since you're kind of a newer transitioner, if mm-hmm. that's a word, for you to share about your path, because so many people are you know, considering making the leap out of full-time employment, the corporate world, mm-hmm. and either adding real estate investing as a side hustle or making it a full-time focus like you did. So why don't you start by telling our listeners about your path and where you started?
1: Great. Yeah, happy to. I, so I've got kind of a funny story about it too. So my background um, is tech. I did tech startups for about 20 years. Um, before that, I studied music. I mean, I was a classic liberal arts major who had like no idea what he was getting out of school. I mean, I really was lost. This is back in 1990. So um, I got into tech because that was, you know, starting about 95, it just turned into this gold rush. And um Uh, it was exciting, but, and my first company did really well and I sold it for a crazy amount of money, but it was an all stock deal and they put golden handcuffs on me, uh, handcuffs. And by the time they took them off, they were plastic handcuffs. And so I did make a ton of money on it, but my investors did really well. And, uh, it was an exciting introduction. Um, and, you know, I did a few more startups over the years. Uh, if, if anyone, the, the one that was probably my most successful since then was one called SurveyGizmo. Gizmo. If you go to surveygizmo.com, you can see that. Um, I was one of the early uh, founders, uh, not really a founder, I was an early partner. I was like employee number five, but I was a partner and that did really well. And then, you know, I, I, I very quickly burned out on that just because the excitement of, of tech is building something new. Um, once you've built it, then you've got to actually operate it, which isn't as fun to me, you know? Mm. Um, and so when, it, when I started having to fill out TPS reports, i like, you know, this isn't really for me. And so-
0: Okay, what's a TPS report? I've never uh, heard that term.
1: That's a, that's a term from the movie Office Space. It's a joke. Oh, oh the, 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 uh, the annoying manager asks, asks everyone to fill out the TPS reports. Okay. Um, and I did a couple more, but one of the weird things about tech um, that that is the opposite of real estate is there's a real bias uh, towards younger people, right? Uh, it, it's partly because if you look at the facts, I mean, people like Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, they all were worth hundreds of millions of dollars before they were 30 years old. And so Silicon Valley tends to to value that. Um, and so I was sort of burned out with trying to stay relevant. Um, also, it takes you a couple years excuse me, almost sometimes a couple of years before you even know if you have something. So you may get excited, start working on it, raise a little bit of money, and then you just grind, 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 and hopefully you find some customers and you're off to the races. But the sad fact is the vast majority of those startups fail. Um, You may not ever even hear of them. You know, they'll get going for six or nine months and then just kind of quietly disappear. So after doing a few of those, I didn't want to do those anymore. And what's ironic is, My neighbor, this is about two years ago, he's a real estate agent or he was, he moved away, but he mentioned a uh, company called Bigger Pockets and I thought, oh, that sounds cool. Maybe, maybe they'll hire me. And so I went to their website and, you know, applied for a programming job there and they didn't get back to me. I was probably too old. (laughs) but but wow, this is a pretty cool website. And I just started browsing around and got really interested. And at that point I had already, I used to live in Boulder and I had a townhouse there and I was renting it out. I had moved down to Denver and was, you know, being a landlord for the first time and starting to learn about it. And then I actually started, so then I started thinking, you know, maybe I should be doing more real estate. And I went to my partner, now partner, Adam Adams, his, uh, meetup group. I went to his very first one, which was like, five people. And, um, that's now up to it regularly has 70 or 80 people. He does them every week. Adam's a machine. Um, but that really sort of opened my eyes to, Oh, so it's not all just 25% down, get a mortgage, rinse, wash, repeat. There's a lot of different ways you can do this. And so that really appealed to me to sort of my creative side. You know, like I started thinking of real estate less as a thing you buy and more as a deal you put together, right? And there's a lot of different people involved in a deal sometimes. And so it's almost like a manufacturing process, as opposed to just a simple purchase. Um, So then I decided, this is the end of last year, end of 2016, I decided, well, okay, I want to do this full time, because I'm not good at part time stuff. I'm the kind of guy who has to go all in. And when I was looking at sort of the the different ways of doing it, I thought fix and flip was the best way for me to get into it because you can cycle cash quickly. Um, that said, I knew I probably wouldn't do that long-term just because I don't get super excited about planning, you know, all the steps and managing contractors and all the things that go into that. Um, but that's where I started. And my first flip, it took me about three months before I found one. And it was one of those... Um, one of those crazy first deals where I, I, she found me on the website, uh, on Google searches and I went and made an offer and the offer was actually below what someone else had offered. Um, but I wasn't sure about the price. And also it was down in Colorado Springs, which is a good hour and a half away. So I was like, if I'm going to buy this, it's gotta be something that, Every time I get in the car, I feel good about the money I'm making and not like. Resentful. And yeah. Right. And so I, I bought it and then I you know got a contractor in. His estimate was way higher than I thought it would be. And I talked to a realtor and he said, you know, I think you can probably sell this as is. So I said, well, let's just list it for a couple of weeks and see what happens. And we did. And so I think I bought it. I think my price was like $1. 58 maybe and we listed it at 195 and i thought you know after the commissions and everything i would make maybe ten thousand dollars and i'd be happy well it ended up selling for 211.5 nice yeah and, and that all happened in the, in the space of 10 days you know someone came in and made the offer and i was like wow this is easy <laughs> <laughs> and no work effectively yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i was really excited about that and um My next flip has been more of a challenge. I I bought that one in June off a wholesaler. Um, And that one I knew I wanted to do a full rehab so I could get the experience. And I I didn't think I'd make a lot of money, but I thought at least I'd learn a lot. Well, I definitely learned a lot and I did not make a lot of money. Um, But what I'm doing now is I've been exploring lease options as a way to sell it. And that's probably what I'm going to do. Um, I'm starting to get interest for that. And uh, th- there's a guy here in Denver, Kevin Amos, who wrote a book called The 45 Day Investor. That's all about lease options. And I talked to him personally, read the book. And so that's what I'm going to do. So I think at a minimum, I'll break even. And if I can hold on to it for a couple of years, I'll, I'll end up making money on that one. <laughs>
0: So may I ask, how did you acquire it? How are you able to do a lease option? You must not have a hard money loan on it, well, right?
1: Well, that one, no, I did acquire that one for cash with a hard money loan. But now what I'm doing is refinancing it into a uh, conventional mortgage and then I'm gonna sell it as a lease option.
0: Nice. Well, uh, yeah, I figured the selling is a lease option. But yeah. just you know, for our listeners to know, if you're buying something with a hard money loan, you cannot typically easily offer no, you, a lease option because your interest rate's going to be so high. It exactly. just doesn't make sense. And furthermore, most hard money lenders don't want to be in a deal long-term. You can't turn around and, you know, offer right. to, to and, lease it for five or 10 years. Um, they wouldn't be happy with that. They want their money back out.
1: <laughs> exactly. And that's the crunch I'm in. Actually, this rehab, it went on way longer than it should have, you know, it should have taken three months. It was more like five. And, um, But this is the creative part. So I I didn't think I'd be able to get a a mortgage because of my income history, you know, since I'm self-employed. But my sister, she has a very high income because she's a VP at a large bank and she wants to participate, but she doesn't have any cash. So she's gonna be a co-signer on the loan and I'm gonna be paying her basically a dividend every month. um, You know, just for the privilege of, of having her,
0: of using uh, her credit, I love yes. it. We're all back to the the team sport. Investing is a team sport for yes. sure. So you're yes. building your team there. <laughs> Smart. Yes.
1: And you know, once you do, as, as I'm sure you know, once you've done a couple, I'm just much more comfortable now. You know, so like I've got another one that I'm going to go uh, take to the title company today that i there's a it's a good price but even if i don't flip it it would be a good um rental and i i know enough people now that i can um i have i have options i guess you could say i would never say it's easy but it's not as hard as you probably are making it sound in your own mind right right um, once you start networking it makes a huge difference and, and i should point out i almost got into real estate over 10 years ago Um, I went to one of these um, Robert Allen workshops Mm -hmm. and, you know, they give you the hard sell. And initially I signed up for, but then I kind of, I don't know, I just got cold feet. I felt like this sounds like all you have to do is go look at houses all day. And I'm not sure I want to do that. And, um, and so I, I had to very forcefully tell the guy to give me a refund, which he did. And um, in retrospect, what I should have done then is just go to a meetup right? Because that's where you meet people and it becomes a lot more realistic once you start talking to people who are doing this. Uh, Instead, I waited 10 years and then I went to a meetup and, um, you know, that gave me a lot more confidence. Once you sort of see the the people who are doing this and how they're doing it, it just, it feels a lot more doable. And, And I would say too, one thing I love about the tech community that I also love about real estate is it's a very supportive community. So people will give you free advice, you know, um, if you have a good deal, they'll jump right on it. Um, so that that gave me a lot of confidence as well as knowing that there's people out there who we're all helping each other succeed.
0: Yes, de- definitely. And I've been one to, you know, take new investors under my wing that i meet at different meetups and real estate investment mm-hmm. clubs or associations but let's put a word of warning out there there not everybody is nice and helpful some people are out to hurt people and i've heard of plenty of you know, would be wholesalers that just get entirely squeezed out of a deal and get no compensation, Mm -hmm. which I think is insane. Like I would never do that to a wholesaler because I want them to keep bringing me more and more and more deals. Why would I bite the hand that feeds me? So, exactly, you know, it's dangerous, but, you know, ask around if there's somebody that's offering to buy a deal from you or partner with you or mentor you, see if Mm -hmm. there's someone else in the club that knows anything about them and can vouch for them. That is a great way to get started working with someone who's experienced, right? Right. I mean, you
1: and the good ones—they won't hesitate at all to give you references. Right. They'll right. Say, yeah, absolutely. Go talk to this guy. He'll tell you how I work. You know. Yep. So if they're sort of dodgy about it, that's probably not a good sign.
0: Yeah. Just a couple of days ago, I saw this friend who is a realtor in um, my gym. She lives in my neighborhood and she was talking about how this very thing, she brought an investor a deal and he said, I'll buy it with you and I'll relist it with you, which was my mm-hmm. way of getting deals for a long time. Bought over a hundred houses that way. And then this investor, um, what's a nice way to say it, um, did not perform as he was supposed to, <laughs> but yeah, he wasn't going to give her the listing. He it's like, but we had a deal. We had an agreement. He was saying, nope. I'm like, oh my gosh, come to me. I will never do that to you. So yeah, it yeah. still is happening. You know, you just got to protect yourself the best
1: you can. It, it gets down to sort of a scarcity versus a abundance mentality. You know, there are so many deals out there to be done. Even if the one you have isn't particularly good, um, you might be able to make it work anyway. And And I just, if you don't make any money or even if you lose a little bit, I just, I call that tuition.
0: Yes. What does school work? You know? Yeah. Don't ever go into a deal planning to lose money. But if you lose a little, you know, it doesn't wipe you out. You know, it's not the end of the world. I've lost plenty of money on plenty of deals. You never want to, but you don't do hundreds of deals and have them all be perfect. You know, it just isn't going to happen. So let's let's continue along your path. So you've done two flips. And how did you connect with your team there at Blue Spruce Holdings? Tell us about that.
1: Well, so all along, even when I first decided to do flipping, I knew I wanted to get into multifamily. Um, one thing i would learned from tech, and, and really any business, but in tech it's it's just exponential. Is is the importance of scale, right? So Google makes you know a half penny every time you go to their site, and a half penny isn't much, but if you got a billion of those happening a day, it starts to add up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what I liked about multifamily, what I suspected, and then I started learning about it and reading about it. It's everyone says that, you know, it takes almost as much work to close. A multi-family deal; it's a single-family sometimes. And you know, if you're going to do it just one time on one residence, why not do it 50 or 100 at a time? And so, I knew in the back of my mind, I wanted to do that, but uh, I also knew that I wasn't going to do it myself. You know, I had to have a partner in business. I've always had the most success when I have a team that I'm working with. And Adam, I'd been basically knocking on his door saying, hey, guys, can I work with you on something? You know, anything? And he approached me back in, I guess, end of May and said, hey, we've decided to go into multifamily. Um, Do you want to do it with us? And I said, yes, absolutely. And we did a training program. And and this is something I would would advise listeners or, or viewers. There are lots of good training programs out there. (laughs) <laughs> there's a lot of them though that aren't so good. Um, and the way you tell is just give it time. Don't sign up for the very first one that comes your way. Look at a bunch of them, or maybe go to a weekend boot camp that only costs you a few hundred dollars, right? And then you'll start to get a sense of how much do these guys really know that are up there talking? How much experience do they have in today's market versus something they did 10 years ago? Yes. And I, I, you know, I'm a fairly intuitive person, so I looked at a whole bunch of these things. And uh Adam and Manny had wanted to go with Dave Lindahl, who I did not know a lot about, but I went to one of their weekend boot camps. I liked it a lot, you know, did some research online, asked around. It seemed very good, you know, very solid. And so we went in. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't inexpensive. Um so you know, I shy away from paying, but if I feel like I'm getting the full value, then I'll pay for it you know, and so far they've definitely delivered on that. Also for something like that, when you're doing, um, sort of larger multifamily deals, um, the, uh, the big value of any coach, trainer, teacher, whatever you want to call them is the network they have. Yes. You know, um, Dave does a, a big, um, partnering event every year in Boston. And the last one, there was like a thousand people there. It's just nuts how many show up. Um, that's not to say you should go with Dave Lindahl. There may be another coach you resonate with, and I'm sure there's other coaches that also have a 1,000 people at their meetups. But getting kind of plugged into that network, um, it, it boosts your confidence. It helps you find investors. It helps you find sponsors for larger deals. And, you know, we, we really felt like that was going to be the test. Are we getting the value of this program is if we can find those kind of people? And we have. So it, we've been very pleased with it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. You need the three key ingredients for a deal: knowledge, time, and money. You know, mm-hmm. you need all that stuff. So mm-hmm. there's but plenty you want of to people.
1: But you're it all on yourself, right? There's a right. lot. Right. Of- <laughs> there's
0: somebody else with more time, more knowledge, and more money than you. No matter how great you are, and right. it, you know maybe. Maybe you know someone with full-time work. They've got credit only, you know, that's, that's right. effectively money. So definitely build your network for people that have all those things.
1: Yeah. And you know, what, what's gotten me excited about what we're doing here now is, is Adam being the master network he is, he, he's one of the people that just attracts people to him. <laughs> so we've got a full-time staff here of five people and three more who are part-time and uh, so we're able to parcel out the work and that allows us to look at a lot more deals a lot more quickly um, uh, you know make offers more offers than you know Dave says you should make two offers a week we do easily five or six a week um, and so you know it allows us all to specialize on what we're best at me I'm more of a money guy I like to look at spreadsheets and so I focus on part, packaging up our deals, talking with lenders, um, talking to investors when they have questions about a, a particular deal, and um, and it's really nice that I can focus on that probably seventy five percent of my time.
0: Nice, yeah. I mean, that's how you want to build a team is put people in their strengths and make sure mm-hmm. you don't get somebody just like you with the same strengths that you're trying to partner with because you need you need mm-hmm. complementary. Skill sets and talents. Well, tell us about how you source your deals there.
1: It's just lots of emails and phone calls. I wouldn't say I'm the best at that. Um, that's r- what other members on our team do. But you know, we'll say, "Hey, we like this area of the country. Go find some some property managers and brokers there. Start talking to them." <laughs> a lot of times, I would say a lot, but often. Uh, you might get hung up. So brokers, you know, they want a deal that they know is going to close, All right. That's their number one priority. It's not necessarily the highest price. It's the highest price that will close. And so a lot of times they're looking for proof of funds. Um, you know, do you have the money to actually close this deal? There's, there's hard, some hard money lenders will find you with that. Um, and it really depends on the broker. Some brokers are really, I'm just going to say annoying. I mean, they want you to sign NDAs and all this stuff. And, you know, we will jump through hoops to a certain extent. Um, but like, for example, one broker, he was sending me deals that they were all pro forma numbers. He wasn't sending me actual numbers. And, <laughs> and
0: what would be wrong with that, TJ? <laughs> well, why, be, why is that a problem for someone who's new and listening and totally new? Is that a problem or why is that concerning?
1: Yes, they are. I won't say they're lying, but they are. Definitely showing you the rosiest possible outcome, right? And so they'll show you, they'll send you a deal that says, hey, look at this. It's an eight cap, you know, $2 million. And then when you dig into the numbers, you find out, well, no, it's really more like a, a three cap at the current occupancy and rents and all that. You know, they're sort of showing you what it would look like after you put a ton of money into it and repositioned it and all that. So you really have to push to get that information. Um, but once you do show that you can close a deal, they're, they're much more forthcoming. They'll, they'll start bringing you deals all the time after that. So there's a little bit of, um, there's a great quote. Uh, I won't forget his name. I'll forget his name, but if you go Google, uh, there was a famous video from about 10 years ago called the last lecture. It's this guy who's a computer science professor at uh, Carnegie Mellon. And he'd done all these amazing things. He'd worked at Pixar. He'd worked at Disney and, you know, was uh, considered one of the great teachers at the school. And he had um, brain cancer and he was going to die soon. He knew he was going to die in the next 12 months. So he was doing a lecture that was going to be his final lecture, essentially. And one of his things, and and it wasn't about computer science or Graphic design. It was about life. And his, the thing he said is that life puts walls in front of you to make you prove you want it bad enough, right? So the, the, the barriers you run into, none of them are insurmountable. Um, there's usually a way to either get over it or go around it or just go find another deal. But if you persist, I would say that's 80% of this business is just persisting. Just keep keep making offers, keep talking to people, and eventually things will start uh, moving in your direction.
0: Oh yeah. And I think if you're not having success and you're trying to prove you want it bad enough, if you've failed a few times, talk to your buddies and your friends and your mm-hmm. peers at the at the RIAs, at the real estate clubs, say, hey, mm-hmm. this is this normal? Should I have made this deal work? What am I doing mm-hmm. wrong? You know, ask ask for help because there are plenty of helpful people.
1: I'll tell you one uh a lesson I learned. Uh, the hard way, which was, uh, this property. I, so I did a lot of direct mail and I got a, a call from a woman who wanted to sell her house. And uh, she, you know, she needed to sell it quickly. She had debt trouble. Um, she wasn't, you know, a lot of times people who are in that situation and they're, they're not necessarily the most organized kind of on point people. So you kind of have to keep calling them. And, um, so eventually I got an appointment. I went, and looked at, it. it was a great house. Uh, neighborhood was so, so, but I knew that, you know, at the price I was offering that I could definitely make a, quite a bit of money on it. So I gave her the offer and I told her to sleep on it. And I'd call her in the morning. I called her in the morning and she said, yes, she wanted to do it. But, oh, by the way, um, it's going to auction today. Oh. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> she waited at the very last minute. So I rushed over to where the, uh, it was actually a Habitat for Humanity house. Oh they were to foreclose. That gives you a sense of how difficult the situation was for her. And they were like, sorry, except you know, the sheriff's got it now. And if I had simply asked, you know, she told me she had debt problems, I should have asked, Well, how serious are these debt problems? Right. You know, uh, is there a foreclosure that's imminent? You know? So I mean that literally just slipped right through my fingers because I didn't ask the right questions.
0: Well, at the beginning, you don't know what you don't know. Stop. So now you know. You mm-hmm. know, most of us only have to make those learning experiences one time and then, then we know for the future. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Well, um, tell us too, like what you guys look for in a deal. It sounds like you're looking for deals like all over the country.
1: We are. Um, it seems like I mean we've done a lot of things in terms of analyzing markets. Um But the truth is, so like Dave says, go to, uh, your your viewers should go to this, go to the Milken report. So I think it's the Milken Institute. It was Michael Milken who uh, became infamous in the 80s for junk bonds, Mm -hmm. but has since tried to make amends by, he's done lots of charity stuff. And um, one of the things they do is something called the Performing Cities List. So if you just Google Milken Performing Cities, um, that's a report they do every year where they rank the top 100, well, really the top 200 cities in terms of employment growth, um, uh, population growth, uh, new jobs, things like that. Um, that's a good place to look when you're trying to figure out where to invest. What they tell us is to throw up a top 20 because those are the super, those are the white hot markets. You know, that's Austin, that's Denver, that's Seattle. Things are really overpriced there. And it just doesn't make sense for the average small investor to get into them. But if you look down below, you'll see some names of cities. You're like, really? I never thought of, you know, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Turns out they're actually it's a pretty good city, you know. So that, that's how we sort of look at at uh, deciding where to focus. And then once the broker starts sending us deals, we're basically looking for Um, and we never say this because they always laugh when you say it. We always, we're looking for an 8% cap, 8 cap, right? Mm -hmm. They always say, oh, you're never going to find that. Well, the truth is you will find it. If you just keep looking, you will find it. Um, but that's where the persistence pays off. But if we find something that's got an 8 cap and a 12 cash on cash return, and, uh, and then we look for a 1.6 debt coverage ratio, um, that to us is like a home run, just like jump on that deal and get it done. Uh, but you do have to kiss a lot of frogs to find those. And you do have to tease out information because sometimes, a lot of times those deals, it's, it's a mom and pop seller. Maybe they've owned it for 20 or 30 years and they're just tired of it or they're getting ready to retire. So they don't necessarily have the best records and bookkeeping. And like w- one deal that we were going to close in January, they had to sort of fax us bills, you know, their utility bills because they didn't have like really an accounting system they kept track of all that stuff. Yeah. So those are the three things we look for. Ideally, there's a value-add component. So you can uh, spruce it up, reposition it. Um, and sometimes value-add just means getting better management. You know, not all management companies are created equal. Uh, mm-hmm. Some do a pretty poor job. So simply just putting in a, a new manager who's, who's focused uh, right there can raise your occupancy from, let's say, 90 to 95. And that will boost your income by it could be 500,000 dollars a year, you know. Oh yeah, uh, in some cases. So, and, and then if you do that, that means that now that eight cap is worth even if you sell it at an eight cap, it's worth quite a bit more. It's worth about ten times more than the income. So if you if you can get let's say a hundred thousand in new income, um, that's worth about one point two million at an eight cap. So if you bought the property for two million. Now it's worth three point two. You know, it's um, uh, it's it's amazing what just you know focusing on some of the little little things can do. And
0: There's many you can
1: do as well, but that's the one that that's the easiest to notice.
0: Well, and those mom and pop investors are in a survival existence mode, mm. not in the mode of how can we maximize our income? How can we make things more efficient? They're just right. like, Hey, we've had this forever. The yeah. checks come in, the management company just sends it. We're just, they're not focusing and looking for opportunities like you guys are or fresh new eyes right. would. So that's where the opportunity is. Yeah. Definitely go for those long time owners, mom, pop investors that, that aren't,
1: and I should mention, I mean, all of our deals right now are coming from brokers, but we are going to start doing direct mail um, early next year, as well as regional meetups to help attract in- investors, potential investors, and, you know, hopefully they'll be sourcing us deals as well. So that's, that's kind of level two. Now that we've got a couple of deals under our belt, we know how to underwrite them and how to finance them. We want to get more of them, you know, get as many as possible.
0: Absolutely. And you're building a track record for your future investors to see your success rate too. Awesome. Well, we need to be coming to a close and wrapping up here, but thank you so much for sharing everything. Do you have any, uh, well, first of all, why don't you tell people how they can find you and learn more about what,
1: your company's doing? Sure. So, um, if you go to blue spruce holdings.com, that's the, the holding company that buys, uh, apartments. We also have a website, uh, called real blue com, like real estate blue spruce. That's where we have a podcast. We've actually had you on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, we're updating that. Quite a lot. And we're about to, I mentioned Blue Spruce Holdings. Then also, my personal, my house flipping business website is Um And um, those are probably the, the best ways to find it. We have a Facebook group. If you search for Blue Spruce, actually, if you search for DJ Pays Cash too, you'll find that on Facebook.
0: Awesome. Well, congratulations to you on all your success and your successful transition from the Tech corporate world over to this um, exciting life of real estate investing. It is so exciting. much fun. fun. <laughs> well, listeners, um, you can find our show notes at hardhatholly.com forward slash 86. So there you'll catch all the details if you missed anything as far as the key points, as well as DJ Scrugg's contact information. And you can find them at Real, Blue, real Bruce Spluce. Real blue Spruce.com. i didn't know that was a tongue twister i trip over sometimes too <laughs> well you caught me there i was not ready for that so yeah we're episode 86 so go catch us show notes and thank you again dj for sharing your journey and can't wait to see what's going to happen for you next
1: my pleasure thanks a lot holly